Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Adrian McLean. Adrian is a former head teacher and experienced senior leader. He currently leads across a multi-academy trust in the West Midlands, developing character education and personal development. Adrian works with staff, students and parents to understand the importance of personal values and character and how these influence success both in and out of the classroom. Adrian's passionate about representation, ethical leadership and positively disrupting the system. He's currently reading a master's in character education at the University of Birmingham. He's a visible role model for a generation of school leaders in his commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. It's a pleasure. Now, I came across a blog you wrote for diverse educators called A Rare Breed, The Lesser Spotted Black Male Teacher. That feels like a good place to start. And and by starting to look at the statistics across teachers and leaders in England. Can you can you share some of those numbers with us, Adrian? Yeah, so um, the thing that really struck me is that if I start with my own background um, and my own sort of journey, in, in my whole time in education as a student, you know, from, from being very little up until finishing university, I, I never came across uh, or had the experience of being taught by another black male. Um, In fact, I didn't get to by another black teacher, which I didn't think anything of it at the time until I became a teacher. And then as I worked through being a teacher, I can count on one hand the amount of other black males that I've worked with. So it's something that's always stuck with me and been something that I'm passionate about changing. And there's various reasons for that, which uh, we'll probably diverge into later on. Mm. But... The first thing really that struck me is when I looked at the um, the government statistics for the last uh, academic year, in that there were approximately um, 4,300 um, Black Caribbean teachers, not males, Black Caribbean teachers in, in, out of 500,000. Wow. To be more specific, talking about the demographic that uh, I guess would be related mostly to me, um, the mixed white um, and black Caribbean demographic, the 1,700, 1,700 approximately, and then add that with the 4,300, there's approximately 6,000 across the whole of England out of a, a body of 500,000, which... When you put it like that, it's it's like wow. That's not males. That's not females. That is combined. So that says to me, wow. There's not very many. And then when you look at the next statistic that says approximately two thirds of uh, teachers are female, it doesn't take a, a genius to kind of work out that there's probably not very many male black teachers or um, white Caribbean. Uh, white black Caribbean teachers uh, in the profession so and then I think about the 20 years I've been teaching that I can literally count on one hand the amount that I've come across uh, in the West Midlands so it's an area of uh, a high black Caribbean population there's not very many so that was the sort of the inspiration behind 
the um, wanting to write about it, wanting to blog about it, to try to think more about that particular topic. And so, Adrian, can you tell why do you think that is? So, I think there's well, what's how long's a piece of string? I think there's <laughs> there's so many different reasons, but you know that for in my research, you know, for over fifty years, there's there's been academic research that says that there aren't enough black teachers in in the profession, um, and that we need to add more. I thought, okay, yeah, that's quite a, a logical solution to, to the problem. And that goes through. But then when you look through and you look at lots of other um, articles that are there that talk about the, the negative experiences that um, particularly young black males have in school and the, the, the risk of permanent exclusion, for example, is, is the second highest um, out of all characteristics of students you start to think about, well, actually, if I was, when, you know, I was fortunate, but most people and a lot of my friends that I speak to, they go through, went through school and they're like, we had a terrible time at school. We were labelled, we were told that we were good for nothing. We were told that we'd be um, in trouble with the law and we were labelled as stupid troublemakers why would we embrace something whereby we're made to feel so bad about it? So that got me to thinking, well, actually, that's not, <laughs> that's not really um, a bad starting point. So if I think about the experiences that myself, my peers had, and how that would have made the majority of people feel, they would run a million miles away from that. They, they, you know, education is repelling them rather than embracing them. Um, so therefore, if they feel like that, they're not going to go anywhere near the profession um, for the sake of you know, their own mental sanity and well-being because actually, why would you go anywhere near something that made you feel so bad? So it made me start to think about, well, actually, is, are we been, have we been treating the symptom rather than the cause? And we've been, oh, let's get more black males. Let's encourage more black males into teaching. But the likelihood of them joining the teaching profession when they've had such a poor experience in school is probably a self-fulfilling prophecy in my mind because I'm not going to do that if I don't want to. Um, or if, I, if, if I've been made to feel so bad, then it's going to push me away and, and not want me to go anywhere near that. Mm. And in your article, you mentioned that this starts to really come in, you know, there's a big change around about the age of 11. So what changes for young black boys around the age of 11, presumably obviously secondary school, where, where so many things change, and what can we do to improve the educational experience of these young people? I think there's, there's, a, there's a, a whole heap of things that, that happen and there's, there's a lot of intersectionality there that, um, that comes into play. Lots of research shows us that at the age of 11, when um, SATs are undertaken, most young black males are at least average or if not above average for the nation's um, results when they get to 11. But then something changes when they get into secondary school and then they begin to become underachievers. Now, 
there's a there's a lot of questions around that and then when you start to dig into people's um experiences in school in terms of labeling the, the unconscious bias um in terms of the the value that's placed the labeling that that's given to students uh, in terms of you're good at sport you're you know you're tall you're strong you're fast you'll be great in the football team rugby team basketball team you know continue with with, with the different sports um or you'd be, a, you'd be great at music, or you've got a real natural talent for this, but not academics. So there's lots of labelling that goes on, um, in my experience. Um, and I've seen it from a, from a teaching point of view where that encouragement has continued as well. So I think that there's a whole systematic problem that we, we need to uh, get to the bottom of and, and start to really unpick. Can we start that now? <laughs> I, I don't mean to sound in the least bit facetious because it's obviously a huge problem, but what are some things that people listening to this podcast, presumably teachers and leaders in schools, can start to do? And, and even just the, the, the idea that you focus on character education and personal development, I'm guessing that they tie together in, in starting to address this issue. Yeah, I mean, lots of, you know, a great question. And I think lots of schools, you know, the, the trendy thing in schools at the moment is to say these are our core values of our school. Yeah. Um, but lots of schools do what, um, they, they, they come out with their core values and they, you know, they may say, for example, integrity is one of them. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the, the policies and the practice of, of the school, there isn't an ounce of integrity being used. So uh, let's take, for instance, uh, uniform policies. So if we were to say um, in the uniform policy that hair has to be a certain length, if you're a black boy, for example, that culturally doesn't apply to you. So, for example, um, some schools will say that you're not allowed to have... Um, a skin fade or, or a skin head, for example. Um, but culturally, as a black boy, that would be your cut of choice. Or the, the policy may say that your, your hair has to be um, an inch long. Mm. But that's not going to fit in with you and your cultural roots and how, you, how is the best for you to wear your hair as an example. Mm. So there's a lack of understanding there, which then means that people fall foul of the school uniform rules. And therefore then you start to get into arguments and disagreements or you're punished in, in, inherently until you rectify your hair situation. Mm. And therefore then you become a troublemaker or you become um, unruly or you're labeled as non-compliant. So therefore you set yourself up and then the message goes around and actually you become labeled and then it fulfills all those other prophecies that we've already talked about. So that's just, that's one example, uh, you know, that's really an interesting one to me. So, you know, and then conversely, if you was to take that to look at, um, to girls, you know, braided hair is, is one thing in, in the community. And then we've got hair color, so braids usually don't just nurture, uh, normally come in one color, they'll get braided in different colors. And then that becomes a problem because it doesn't meet the school's uniform policy requirements. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I always come back to the question of, well, you know, when I think to myself, does a, does a child's hair colour actually have any impact on their learning? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things where people say, well, well, you know, we're preparing them for the world of work. But if you go into pretty much any world of work now, what will you see in terms of people's hair colour? There's a whole multitude of things. And there's a good reason why, because... Most people don't know this, but actually you deny people that they, their actual basic human rights by determining how they can or cannot wear their hair um, on the grounds of coming to school. Mm. So there are things there. there and, it, and it seems like, you know, it seems like a very simple thing. Like school uniform policy seems like it should be simple. But as you point that out, that it creates this friction and resistance, and if you look at even the, the, the issues that affect a teacher's well-being, it's behaviour, it's young people's behaviour has um, the biggest impact, you know, according to research. So if we can break down some of these points of resistance and, um, you know, kick back, then... I'm just thinking, if somebody listening to this, saying, yeah, but you don't know what it's like in my school. If I, if I relaxed uniform policy, you know, who knows what would happen? What would you say to somebody that would be concerned about something like this? It's always a concern, right? And, and, and I think you don't go from zero to 100 straight away. You have to work constructively. You have to work collectively. And you do it systematically. So, you know, one of the things that that I did when I was in charge of, of that policy uh, years back was that we started with the girls, for example, weren't allowed to wear braids. So we started with that they could. And then there was a whole debate around hair colour. So then we went from that the, there wasn't any hair colouring into natural shades. Um, so there wasn't any bright blues or pinks. So it's about, you know, slide, using the sliding scale. You're not going to go from, you know, if you went from one end of the scale to the other, of course you're going to have problems. It's about using that on a scale policy. You know, some, some schools I've worked in, you know, using a completely different example to illustrate my point about trainers, had problems with trainers. Okay, so we wanted to get to everybody wearing a hard shoe. So we went from, okay, you're going to wear trainers, so let's embrace that. Everybody, you can wear whatever you want as long as they're black. So we incorporated that. Then we started to narrow it down to that they had to be a particular way. So there was no boots, like Timberland boots, as an example. Um, and then we turned it into that there was no leisure shoes. And then we started to really think about defining that it had to be a leather polishable shoe. And that took three years, mm. but it worked. Um, so we, we got there in the end, but it, it's again, it's about using scale and bringing it back because you're not going to do it all in one fell swoop. So it's about having, I think the real key point is about having conversations with people, being culturally aware. And, and if you don't understand that, it's about being inquisitive and asking questions and finding out. So using um, student voice, using some parent voice, going to talk to members of the communities that, that you serve and getting their impact, their feedback, because if you get them on board and get them involved in the process, they're going to work with you. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I know these examples might sound a little bit trivial, but they they're they sound they're actually fundamental. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely fundamental. Because as you rightly pointed out earlier, this is about this is about human behaviors and human behaviors happen based on values. Yeah. So if you value something and you believe in it and you hold certain beliefs, your actions and behaviors and your communication will will, will follow that. Um, so it's really fundamental that if you want to change people's viewpoints and people's beliefs, you have to get at it from the values point of view. And, and talk to me more about this. How, how do values, because, you know, you picked out a, a, a key one there of integrity. How else do we use these values to inform policy or even, you know, character education, personal development? How do we weave all of these things together so they're meaningful? They're not just a tokenistic thing that we put on the wall inside the front office. Absolutely. So you just touched on one of my, my favourite sayings is that are our values lived or are they laminated? <laughs> um, and, and most, and, and it's a real, real tricky thing to do and understand because one of the things that I do in my current role now and, and we're currently evaluating is, is looking at our values and for them to really truly mean anything and for them to be impactful, they've got to be the, the central DNA strand to everything that you do in your school. So if your school's got core values as an example, and there could be anything, and let's say that integrity is one of them, all your policies should reflect that, that you treat people with integrity and that your aim is to have students who operate with integrity. So they'll do things because it's the right thing to do, even when no one's watching. But there's a common misconception with that in that people think that it just happens. If we keep talking about it, it just happens. No, it doesn't. So we have to teach our young people and we have to teach our staff how to do that and how we do it in that particular environment. So example, you know, integrity that we, you know, we, we would talk about um, litter, for example. Integrity is putting your litter in the bin, even when no one's watching. We don't just drop it on the floor. You know, lots of children are very good at putting it in the bin when someone's watching or when they think someone's watching. But how many of them will do that when there isn't a teacher around or how many of them are walking across the yard on the way to lessons? They don't think anyone's watching, they'll just drop the litter. Those are the kind of conversations that we have to have. And, and again, it's, it's really powerful when your staff in your school operate in those same ways as well. So if there's a particular rule for the children, there's a particular rule for the, for the adults as well. So as an example of that, I always would have something that in, when I was ahead. So I'd have a beam of bonnet with the staff about the fact of that don't tell the kids that they can't wear their coat in the building if you've got yours on. Hmm. So if I was in the building, I would always have my coat over my arm. I would never have it on. And if the kids did see me on and the kids knew that they could quite rightly ask me, say, sir, you've got your coat on, can you take your coat off? And I would go, you're absolutely right, and I would take it off. Mm-hmm. And that was an expectation. So, you know, those, those are just some, some key ways that, that I think are really important. We have to role model it to, 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 to children mm-hmm. because – 
that we we teach them that that's how it works in 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 that particular environment in that community because then they catch you you know it becomes the expected way that we do stuff around here so that if everybody's doing it then and somebody new comes then they just catch it they go oh okay this is how we do stuff here so i'll i'll join in with that um i think that's really really important yeah yeah and you're you're doing your masters in uh, character education can you tell for people who are not familiar with what we mean by character education can you just tell us what you mean there and we'll go carry on from there so character education is is something that people go oh i've never heard of that before and i don't know what that is we all know what it is because everything i've said previous to this is about character education it's about those particular traits or virtues that we talk about um, and developing those in individuals um, to, to enable them to essentially be the best version of themselves. So we, we could be talking about, you know, different different character characteristics. So we could be talking about integrity as we've already done. We could be talking about the current buzzword, which is resilience and keeping on going and trying harder. And um, we could be talking about perseverance about that we keep going when it's difficult. We could be talking about honesty, um, you know, um, and, and, and making sure that we are honest with ourselves, we're honest with others, even when that's difficult because people sometimes don't want to hear the truth. And how do we weave this into um, what we've been talking about then? So the 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 difficult behavior of young black boys or or their difficult not even so much difficult behavior their difficult journey through secondary school the the challenges then that teachers have with them and then weaving character education into this how do we tie all of this together to help everybody in school i think there's there's a number of different points that intersect there i mean um i'll go back and i'll say there's a perception of of negative behavior from black boys they're perceived in a different way um just by just because you may be a loud bubbly person um but if you're like me six foot four and quite athletically and muscularly built you're perceived in a very different way to someone who's five foot two and not um so there's a lots of things there so it's about checking our own our own experiences, our own biases. Um, We're all subjected to um, stereotypes and things that we see in the media. So, you know, without even knowing it, we will uh, assume particular roles or um, take on board what we've seen in in films, on the TV, in the news reports, and take them for being gospel when actually they're not. You know, we should... I mean, the, the key thing really is ju- judging people as an individual, not as a collective. Yeah. Um, and yes, there may be, you know, young young black boys who are loud, boisterous. And yes, there will be young black, black men that are rude and don't behave in the classroom. But that is true of every different characteristic that is in that classroom. So I think we need to remember that there's there's no defined way for for people treat people as individuals first and foremost, um, and I always say to 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 my staff and 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 anyone that's 
that I've worked with in terms of dealing with with behaviour and behaviour management. It's about the person. Talk about when you're talking to, to to young people. Talk about them as a person in the positive. Highlight their positive characteristics. So the things that they're doing well. So if someone might be loud. Uh, you know, that's that's a way of getting people to to demonstrate leadership. Say, okay, you're loud. You can get people's attention. So get their attention in a positive way rather than a negative way. So it's about harnessing those those um, powers that they have. We all have our individual superpowers, as I like to talk to the kids. Yeah. And and say, you know, use it in a good way. Use it in a positive way. So if you're you're good at, um, you know, so for example, one young man that I, that I taught many years ago, who's actually a teacher now. Um, he was very argumentative when he was at school and he would always get into an argument with someone. And, and, I, and I sat him down one day and I said, if you keep doing that in, that in that particular way, you're going to get yourself into trouble. He says, what you're saying isn't wrong. It's how you're saying it. And then we started to work on ways that he could express himself and use that real positive trait um, in, a, in a much more positive way. So then he started to be less aggressive in the way that he asked it. And it was the way he was perceived as coming across as being aggressive. Um, actually, he was just passionate. Mm. And when we sat down and we talked about it and we got him to, to take a breath before he asked the questions and, and asked them in a slightly different way, it was like he was talking to a different child. But I think there's there's lots of different elements like that that we can we can interpret and we can use to help our young people to to make better choices because they all have superpowers we all do and um, it's about harnessing them in the right way. Yeah, lovely. And what, before we start to wrap up, then can you give us or give me and our listeners any other ideas or strategies and how we can be part of this influencing a positive change um, to kind of take us right back to the beginning of our conversation, Adrian, where um, how do we get more diversity in our leadership by, um, you know, going back to the beginning and talk about how we treat our young people through school. So uh, can you tell, help us tie some threads together here and give people some direct strategies to, to make change? I think... In terms of making changes, is one of the things I always talk about and um, and speak about and and kind of preach about to people is that you can't make a change until you change yourself. Mm. And the change we want to see is we've got to be within ourselves. So we have to question ourselves. We have to go deep inside and understand where where do our beliefs come from? And and you know most of the time our beliefs come from our experiences. And then we we make those experiences our kind of um, our crutch that we we walk with. So we have to look at our experiences, but we have to challenge those experiences. Are they real, or are we fearful of them? And you know, um, I use the acronym for fear of false expectations appearing real. Mm-hmm. So because you've experienced that with one person, doesn't mean that that's the way it is all the time. So coming back to you know where we, we we started with, it's about understanding your own biases, your own prejudices, your own experiences, and how they came about. 
Um, I think that's the first thing that you have to do. You have to know yourself and know who you are and what it is that you value and why you value it. And be prepared to ask, ask yourself those tough questions and challenge some of your own beliefs. Once you do that, then you can start to see the world and look at it in a slightly different way. Um, and it's not about, I guess, um, expecting you to change your perspective. It's about understanding your perspective because then you can see where you are. We're not asking you to move position. We're asking you to understand where you are. That's the hardest part, understanding where you are, first and foremost. Once you understand where you are, it's really easy to start to move because you've challenged yourself and the hardest person to challenge and change is yourself. Mm. Once you've got that information and you know about yourself, who you are and why you are the way that you are, you can then start to ask the questions around you. You can start to look around. And that's when the, the collaborative work starts to really come in and start to, to, to challenge some of the, the, the things that we see every day. Um, so you can start to ask questions about, uh, about policies and practices in school and start to be a, a, what, what I term a positive disruptor in, in, those, in those particular areas. You're not, you're not saying, well, this is wrong. You're asking the question. And asking the question is a hundred times more powerful than telling someone that they're wrong because you plant that seed where they think, okay, do we need to talk about this? And you can then get the dialogue and that the dialogue is the most powerful thing. So I think if you can engage people in dialogue and start to have conversations about why are these things happening and what can we do to change them and what policy practice, um, etc that we've got in place that we can change or we can work towards changing then you've got a, a real chance of making that change yeah absolutely and i love that phrase being a positive disruptor i think um yeah it takes courage it takes courage to do that and it takes some personal integrity and like you said you know personal examination of yourself and and your own values and and the and the high level of self-awareness so all of those things come together to make yeah a better teacher a better leader a better person in our society agent do you have any final comments before we before we wrap up yeah i think the, the thing that you really touched on there was um better, better person and I think that's the real crux of character education for me and the thing that I'm really passionate about. There's, there's so much inequality and injustice in, in, you know, not just this country, but in the world. Mm. And that's how we're going to change it, by, by getting people to, to understand that, number one, you know, the big topic at the moment is race. The, 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 there isn't any such thing as different races. There's one race. There's a human race. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we get back to understanding that. We're all one people, yeah. right? And, you know, unless there's some aliens on this planet that we don't know about, you know, there's only one race. So I think that we, we, we kind of, yes, it's important that people understand the challenges that are happening to different people of different characteristics. Absolutely. And I'm a big, avid supporter and ally of that um, but I think we have to look at those different character traits and we have to say right who am I 
and what do I value? And then we have to live by those values. So if we say that, you know, I, I operate with integrity, we have to really truly mean that and have those courageous conversations and be courageous. Not everybody is yet currently courageous, but we have to work towards it. You know, um, that's the that's the beauty of character education. It's never a done deal. You know, there's there's a fine balance in in, in terms of using those different character characteristic traits. You know, courage is a virtue, but it's also a vice. You know, if you use too much courage, you can tip over to the other end to to be madness. Yeah. You know, and can be ultimately be, be dangerous in some ways, as we've seen with some of the leaders. Um, of different nations at different times throughout history, it's it's been dangerous because that courage to to instill what they believe has not been done in the right way. So I think ultimately thinking about your values, educating yourself to make the world a kinder place. We do that. Everybody's well-being is in a better place, and and ultimately. I just want everyone to be kind to one another. Yeah. You know, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't like it done to you, don't do it to somebody else. It is the mantra I teach my kids. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> That's so wonderful, Adrian, because, you know, in this world that feels like it's being increasingly divisive and, you know, just feels like we're being carved up into different subsections of the human race, you know, being kind, imagining ourself in, in another person's shoes, what, um, and just, just taking that moment to practice these things, these, these values that we hold dear, that we say we hold dear, um, how do we take them out of the lamination <laughs> and, into, and into, our, into our lives? Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adrian. That's welcome. Thank you for having me. If you would like to connect with Adrian, I've been speaking with Adrian McLean and you can connect with Adrian on Twitter at character underscore guy. All of these will be in the show notes. Um, Adrian's website is Adrian McLean Consultancy and you can find Adrian on LinkedIn. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.